Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Witch Please, a fortnightly podcast about the Harry Potter world. I'm Hannah McGregor. And I'm Marcel Cosman. And witches, we owe you an apology. We know we promised in the last episode that we were going to start talking about book five in this episode, but that book is too goddamn long, so we're going to play video games instead. That's right. In an attempt to extend Witch Please infinitely into the future, we're adding a third kind of episode with a third kind of episode numbering just to make life as hard as possible for all of you. Our extended universe episodes will feature discussions about games, fan fiction, and other non-canon expansions of the Harry Potter world. In this first episode, we're going to be playing, or recently have played, Lego Harry Potter Years 1-4. to and here to help us out, and by help us out, I mean invite us into their home and provide the television and the game and the expertise and the snacks, are our dear friends and coven mates, Alexandra Carruthers and Brent Bellamy. Hi. Hello. Yep, that's them. Hi, guys. <laughs> and because this is a whole new kind of episode, we're going to have a whole new set of segments. So here we go. Listen, (laughs) adaptation isn't always about accuracy, and sometimes our favorite representations of the world are those that most stretch reality. At least, that's our theory in The Quibbler, our segment on non-canon adaptations, intermediality, and refusing to follow the rules. We love not following the rules. Is that true? Do we like subversion? So I had a lot of trouble with that word. Suggests I don't like it. It depends. It depends who makes the rules. Was it the white man? (laughs) I love his rules. They're so objective and orderly. (laughs) All right. So the first thing, I mean, this is sort of our adaptation segment for this, since we're talking about playing a game that's set within the Harry Potter world. So the first thing that um, I need to bring to everybody's attention is the fact that neither Alex nor Brent have read the books. <gasps> this is especially incredible because Alex is a librarian. Uh, and my understanding is that you were, had to read all of the books before you were allowed to become a librarian. Also, Brent is a doctor of literature. So you guys don't make any sense. I just I want you to both know that this is bonkers. I literally don't understand how this happened. Was it in your wedding vows to never ever read the Harry Potter books? Tell us more. <laughs> I think I was 13 or something when the books came out. I think we're all the same age, but I thought I was too old and cool for them. And then I never, never read them. I know better now. I just, <laughs> I just haven't got around to it. Yeah, my kid brother, Justin. So this is like, hi, Justin. You're never going to listen to this, but you'd love it. Um, he is the same age as Harry Potter. And so like he would have had the first book read to him. He was born in 1990. And so it was kind of his thing. So I was off reading other fantasy novels for teenagers. Which isn't to say that you can't read young adult fiction, but I was being marketed to by other fiction that I was reading. That's fair. You always complain the market. Okay, I just want to summarize real quick that they both just said that they were too cool to read them. (laughs) (laughs) Just so all of our listeners... Just so all of our listeners are just like, just know how to gauge everything they say from now on. <laughs> yeah. Both yeah. of these people are too cool for Harry Potter. That's clearly not but, true. But not, <laughs> but not too cool to play all the way through Harry Potter years one to four and Harry Potter years five to seven on Nintendo Wii, which is now a defunct platform. 
and out of date. <laughs> yeah, and the Lego version too, not just Harry Potter. We yeah. really like the Lego version specifically. So the reason why I wanted to bring up the fact that you guys have not read the books was not just to publicly shame you in front of this microphone and this cat, but also... (laughs) I really hope you guys can hear George. I love George so much. Um, It was also because I'm interested in your experience of playing this game, um, because the way that I think Marcel and I are both going to think about this is in relation inevitably to the books. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in the experience of playing this game for people who haven't read the books, but have seen the movies. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) They didn't get the rights to the voices. That's so there's phenomenal. no language. They didn't get the rest of the voices, so they're just having them make noises? Yeah, they just go... <laughs> I want to say something that you might put in another segment for editing purposes. <laughs> okay. When you were talking about subversion, the thing about the game that's really interesting to me is that it encourages you to break a bunch of stuff and then put it back together... So you feel like you're being bad, like you're, now I'm revealing something about why I like the game. <laughs> those bricks are bouncing over there, you can go and turn them into something. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to. Oh no, shoot the place up. You can lift that guy up in the air if you want to. That's actually what's fun about this being a Lego thing, is that you just use your magic to explode stuff, but it's okay because it's Lego, it's not violent, it's just supposed to fall apart. But try doing that to one of those people when it glows purple with your little trigger button. <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't you remember this from the book? <laughs> yep. So if you hold hold it down a person, you can fly them around in the air using your control stick. Holy shit. If you want. Yeah, I do. No real consequences. But it really uh, limits what can actually be broken up and what can't, or where you can actually go. Like, it makes you feel like there's no path, or it makes you feel like you can kind of do what you want, but really, it's, it's quite linear. Mm-hmm. And it really adheres to the plot of the movies quite closely. And sort of like the cutscenes that you get are improvised from the movies. Mm-hmm. What's this? Oh, food fight? Oh, you're gonna get. This is that you're gonna get your wish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna do something harder. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you're gonna have to fight a troll. So, because there's no. because there, there's no language in the game, they have to indicate what's happening plot-wise using other means. So sometimes they have to change the story a little bit. So like just now they were all in the dining hall and then Quirrell came in and started throwing shit at people um, to indicate that there was a big troll. <laughs> well, what I like about the games uh, is the teamwork. As mm-hmm. I was saying before, um, to get through the game, you have to play together. I did it wrong. Maybe Harry has to do it. I think maybe Hagrid broke it. And you have to switch around through a whole bunch of different characters. Harry, here you go. And you have to problem solve. And usually you would do that by kind of talking through what's going on with the person you're playing with. What am I trying to get? Oh, those things on the rooftop? Yeah, good job. I got the purple one. That's probably the, the most engaging thing about it. I would also like to add, because <laughs> I am a really big fan of this game too, that um, the thing that I really like about it is the fact that it is primarily about collecting things. Ooh, what's happening? Why are these things flying? Maybe somebody tell Hannah what those things are. What are they? Those are studs. What are they doing? Silver ones are worth What do I want to collect? 10. Them? Gold ones are worth 100. It's, it's, they're standing in for wizarding money. So basically you're collecting money. And it has minimal peril. So even if you 
die because you're Lego, you don't actually die. You just explode into a bunch of pieces. Maybe you lose some coins that you collected and then you get put back together and you get to keep playing. Mm -hmm. And as someone who gets really frustrated playing games where I die and then have to start over at the beginning of the level, which happens all the time because I'm not very good at video games, this is a really satisfying game for me to play. Here you go. Wait, hold on a sec. Yeah, you're good. Okay. Uh, press plus to start. Just like it says on the screen. Where's the... Oh, I found it. Should I play cool. as Hagrid? So you walk around with your... Yeah. Hannah, this was your first time playing the game. Do you mm-hmm. want to talk a little bit about how that was for you? Or did you have that scripted for somewhere else? Got a script for somewhere else. Oh, okay, never We can mind. talk more. This conversation is very interesting to me, the sort of the mechanics of the game. Mm-hmm. But I'm really interested in that, like... What all three of your answers really suggested is that the appeal of the game is primarily about its mechanics or its platform, not about the fact that mm-hmm. it's a Harry Potter adaptation, mm-hmm. that I, the Harry Potterness is <clears throat> incidental. I was even going to say that maybe the Harry Potter is sort of just like a ruse, like because you can play the Star Wars Lego or you can play Lord of the Rings Lego, and really it's like the Lego mechanic that's fun and the teamwork that Alex was talking about and the low risk that Marcel was talking about, because I really like that part too. It's especially nice in a team game that if one of you <laughs> jumps off a cliff, it's not like back to the start of the level or something yeah. like this. It's more about encouraging fun. But yeah, like the Harry Potter part is obviously crucial to mm-hmm. the joy of the game. But as we see with the other sort of franchises that come into the Lego video game world, they're sort of exchangeable or something. Mm-hmm. Why don't we talk quickly about the things that are actually Harry Potter? In, in the video game, because it's not, mm. once you start thinking about it in terms of the game mechanics and how it functions, it's actually not as obvious as you might just assume. It's not just that you're at Hogwarts, there are some specific things. So there's the music, it's got Harry Potter music mm. from the movies. So for people who haven't played the game, the game has no dialogue and it has no um, text. The storyline is being sort of sketched in for you based on um, sort of cutscenes and character interactions. When I play this game too much, I get in the habit of just making sounds. So I'll like come into the room where our erstwhile tech support is washing the dishes and go, and he'll go, (laughs) yeah, he's funny. It's amazing to me that while none of the characters have voices, they have accents still. So like McGonagall like makes her like, no, is this like with a very clear Scottish accent? <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Yeah. It sounds like the way that you play, or based on what I saw, the way that you play the characters is specific to the characters themselves. And so there's a lot of stuff that, again, I'm not super sure if you would pick up on. For example, the students get to take lessons and acquire more spells whereas Hagrid never acquires more spells. Mm. And when you play as Hagrid, you only ever have, like, some physical strength and the capability to, like, convince people in paintings to do things for you, and then just some, like, basic chaos magic where you just, like, point your wand at things and they blow up. Well, you didn't get to see this, Hannah, but you also get Fang. Oh. If you're, like... Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Who can dig things. Yeah. And the Fang, like, we don't need to know much about Hagrid to know that, like, okay, fine, he's got a dog sidekick. But to understand why it is that Hagrid is carrying a pink umbrella and why it is that he doesn't acquire any magic and can't do any other spells, there's a reason for that that just doesn't, from what I saw, just um, never comes up in the game, right? Similarly, you said Hermione acquires spells faster than other students? I was just goofing around when I said that. She can use those bookshelves... And she can learn sequences. Uh, Similarly, Harry can speak Parseltongue, so he can communicate with snakes. And in the second game, Ron can do some Parseltongue too, because, you know, Harry talks in his sleep. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Also, Ron comes with scabbers. And eventually, when we get to the third level, which is book three, Hermione gets um, Crookshanks. <gasps> oh, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. But now, all of that is fairly self, self-apparent. self Like, I'm thinking of things that are not skin, right? Like, because a huge amount of the stuff that makes it Harry Potter-ish is just the skin that you've put over top of things, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, how much of the game is actually about this world? Mm-hmm. Right? How much of it is actually in any meaningful way an adaptation of 
the Harry Potter series versus just a purely sort of cosmetic layer. I think I like the um, the fact that you can cast spells and you can aim where they land mm. uh, in Harry Potter. I think I like it more than Lord of the Rings, but I don't remember what you have to do in Lord of the Rings. I think you have to go and attack people and fight people with swords and stuff, which is fun too. You kind of like do a lot of smashing, but the fact of having the wands is that's yeah. a difference. Yeah. I'm wondering how pedagogical the other games are because this game is really explicitly about like learning things right like you go through various levels that are like now you're going to learn how to use the spell effectively Mm -hmm. and then you've officially acquired it and once you've acquired that spell now you're going to be put in situations where you actually have to use that spell is that similar in the other lego games i don't think so the way it works in the dc games there's like batman and batman 2 is like you have different suits that you get and so you get a different suit that will let you climb up a wall or be an acrobat if you're robin in the star wars game uh, Luke can't use the Force, and then he can use the Force. So that's, like, a thing. But I think Harry Potter is its unique in that the central characters you use mm-hmm. end up with this big toolkit by the end where they can do all these things all of a sudden. And the nice thing about a game like this is that when you start, you're not really certain how you'll use those abilities. So when we played a, a higher level, there were all these new spells that all of a sudden we had to remember mm-hmm. how to use. But when we were playing through from the start... It was just, you don't have any spells. And like, oh, now you can levitate stuff. And like, now you can cast Lumos and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Doing magic to you. I guess that's that. There is something in, for sure in this one, um, that we didn't look at. And I can't actually remember how it works. Maybe you guys remember better than I do. Um, but in the room upstairs in the Leaky Cauldron, you can go in and you can watch clips and it's not clips of the movie it's clips of the lego game reenacting clips from the movie and it sort of puts the pieces together so all of those so the cork board that has the um, polaroid snapshots um, where you can that you use to choose where you're going those polaroid snapshots are these black and white stills that are i think taken from the Sort of the cutscenes, yeah, that you watch in the in the film room. Another thing I wanted to add about the relation of the book to the game is that there's this sense in which you're in the the world of the work and you get to explore the world that's built through the novel form in this Mm -hmm. other sort of form or mode or Mm -hmm. genre. And so you can kind of you end up going to all the places. Yeah. And you can sort of spend a little bit more time in that scene. And I guess it maybe looks a whole bunch more like the films present that world than the novels do. But that's still an interesting connection, that you don't have to move through it, through the world in precisely the same way. You can go back and linger somewhere. Mm -hmm. You can just hang hang out in Diagon Alley and smash stuff Mm -hmm. for the afternoon if you want. I imagine that is a huge part of the appeal, right? Is that you're in, in both the book and the movie, you're sort of in these really exciting, interesting spaces in a way that you sort of just move through under somebody else's power, right? There seem to be so many Harry Potter spin-off things, whether it's Pottermore or, you know, the the world of Harry Potter. What is it? The Wizarding World? What is that thing in the, London? The Wizarding World of Harry Potter? experience i don't know yep the wizarding world of harry potter experience in 3d like that are all about sort of taking these spaces that they've created in the books and then letting you linger in them and explore them right letting you go sort of off script which seems to be maybe particularly exciting in the context of this world like it might just be that harry potter has, or rolling rather has done a particularly good job of world building mm-hmm. right and when somebody's done a particularly good job of world building there's an excitement around just spending time in that world mm-hmm. right similar to how people go and visit the Hobbit Village in New Zealand, which is a place you can go to. Did you know it was a place you could go to? Could you think of that experience of being in the game and just wanting to explore the world and spend time in the world on your own terms, kind of like a kind of fan fiction, you know? Oh, yeah. Because that's what you do when you're writing fan fiction. You're like, I want to spend more time here. How can I spend more time here? Mm -hmm. I'm going to come up with a way of doing it myself. So this is maybe a little bit more structured and gives you some particular ways of spending time in the world. I think that that's definitely true once you have gotten further through the game and have acquired more characters. So then you can go back and replay levels, but as different characters. So you could sort of be like, oh, what what would I be like if I were Draco Malfoy in this 
level learning this thing. And, you know, you're still limited by the contours of the game itself and what the game is allowing you to do. But different characters have different abilities and you can unlock different things with those different characters when you go back. So the game really wants you to experiment with being different characters in in those levels mm-hmm. that you've already played, which is kind of fun and allows you to replay it over and over again. Yeah, which is great. Like that's a classic sort of way to teach students to think through narrative focalization is to ask them to rewrite you know, scenes out of books from the perspective of different characters, right? So the game actually has built into it that very thing we keep talking about in the novels, that you're only seeing things through Harry's perspective, mm-hmm. right? And the game is encouraging you to think about, you know, how the world opens up in different ways when you're mm-hmm. in the perspective of different characters. And that's one of the great things that fan fiction does by allowing you to move outside of the focalization of the original texts. Does somebody else need to come along with Lumos and fucking beat that guy It's up? a snake, though. Oh, I thought it was a vine. I'm sorry, it's the poor Nintendo no, style rookie graphics. mistake. You're a... Show you a rookie mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's lots of different kinds of typical video game genres that this could be that would not give you the same experience. Mm-hmm. So if it was like a first-person shooter, yeah. Harry with his wand kind of game, that might be closer to the narrative form of the books. Um, uh, or a side-scroller would be different. It's almost like an RPG, but it's not like the stop-and-fight kind. It's more like it's like action-adventure, I guess. We're going to talk about game types in the third segment. Okay. Keep it. It's all there in your brains. Just hold on to it. Has everyone had their permission slip signed? Good, because we're heading out on our very first weekend excursion to Hogsmeade, where we'll learn more about the larger wizarding world beyond the borders of the books and the movies. As I'm experiencing these extra canonical texts for the first time, the thing I'm most interested in is what else it might tell us that Mm -hmm. isn't in the books. I mean, we were talking about this at lunch, actually, with Richard. The wizarding world of Harry Potter is built out of paratexts, right? There's a ton of stuff that is considered canon because Rowling said it in a different context, but it isn't actually contained within the world of the books themselves. Anything that Rowling ever says about the Harry Potter world becomes canon. Um, And so she's built this world and made it really complex via a series of paratexts, right? Social media and interviews and short fiction she's releasing after the fact and Pottermore, of course, is the best example. But that suggests that there's all of these extra dimensions to this world that we get to explore in different forms. This isn't something that was authored by Rowling, right? This is sort of non-canonical paratext. And so I'm curious if, if the experience of playing the game has like added to your understanding of what is in the world, right? If you see more. It certainly lets me appreciate the difficulty or challenge of getting things done. Okay, so we're at the cribbage mat. Cribbage match. <laughs> did, did you record that? Good. Yeah. Cribbage? You're at a cribbage match. <laughs> Whoa, cribbage. <laughs> Wizard cribbage is way more hardcore than muggle cribbage. Oh my god, I hate this one. I just remembered. I've played through this one like a hundred times and I can't get all the pieces of the crest and it drives me fucking bananas. Like if this was a TV thing, we would cut to a clip of all the times that I fell off a cliff or into fire or got smashed by something in the game. And so it introduces frustration into your experience of the story and it it slows it down. More of the frustration. <laughs> Maybe getting to um, play with potions and spells yourself than watching the movies, seeing them cast spells. I'm like, woohoo. <laughs> <laughs> I know how fun that is. <laughs> I see what you guys are saying. So it gives you a kind of deeper appreciation for the experience of being a student in this world or being a person in this world, I guess. For me, the example that I keep coming back to is the fact that Hermione can't ride brooms. And so if you were playing as Hermione and you try to get onto a broom, it just like bucks and you can't make it work. So you have to switch characters if you need to get across somewhere, if you need to do some kind of task that has that broom. So I guess one of the things that that does is it allows you a little bit more insight into what it is like to actually be really shitty at something. (laughs) 
Or like even when you're playing as Harry, um, who's pretty good at most of the things. Like when I was first fighting Quirrell, when I played this, I think I died like 30 times because I didn't, I wasn't paying attention to what it was specifically that I was supposed to do or I couldn't figure it out. And so it gives you this kind of imagined experience of how like scary and frustrating and like difficult it is to actually overcome these obstacles that I'd say the book, mm-hmm. the book gives you a sense of the difficulty, but the movies totally gloss over it. And the movies, it's just like, yeah, you just touch his face <laughs> and fine. he'll just explode. You'll kill him. Don't worry about it though. Also, you won't see Thestrals yet. <laughs> no big deal though. No, 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 no. No, you haven't experienced death. That wasn't death. He didn't count. (laughs) So I am the only person who just played this for the first time. And an important thing to know about me is that I never play video games ever. (laughs) So uh, the frustration was probably amplified because of my my clumsy thumbs. I was very good at the Lego building component. Frustrated? No, not particularly. But probably because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. And so it was hard to experience frustration when I was just like, I just run around and run into things, right? That's the gameplay. So what really struck me on this first move through was like how little it moved outside of the text, right? How it seems to, in a lot of ways, stay very, very much within the parameters that not even the books, but the movies have drawn. And that's already an even sort of additionally foreclosed version of the Wizarding World. So rather than expanding things outwards, it seems to be less Mm -hmm. than the books. But what all of your answers suggested is that there's this sort of like affective level that comes with the interactive nature of the medium that you sort of engage with the world in this really different way Mm -hmm. because you're actually like having to move through it and having to sort of overcome obstacles yourself and that there's something about the way that like interaction and affect work that then can sort of go back and you know change or improve your experience of the movies Mm -hmm. can i add something that i just thought of right now which goes back to your initial question which is does it tell you anything else or does it Mm -hmm. open up any other insights um that the books in the movie um don't And there is a clip at the beginning when you are playing with Harry and Hagrid and you're going into Gringotts and you have to go into Harry's vault. And there's a quick clip where you see a bunch of goblins dancing to some kind of disco or something like that in another vault. vault. Yeah, Yeah, they go in the wrong vault by accident. And so all of you get this like sudden insight into the like fun party swing and lifestyles of the goblins of Gringotts. And that's that's pretty rad. There's also when they go up to talk to the goblin teller. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. It shows he's sort of been working away and you're just like smashing stuff and turning on lights and cleaning up. You do a lot of cleaning up in the game. You sort of see it from over a third person behind his shoulder and he's actually been drawing this little picture of a sunshine and a little house and, you know, like a, a, a grade one, a grade two student would just, you know, that generic picture. That is like a value added, right? That is like, it might even not be so much more about the goblins as like just a totally different take on the goblins mm-hmm. in a way that you don't see a totally different take on mm-hmm. other characters or other elements of the world, right? It's like all of a sudden the goblins here are like, like charming and whimsical mm-hmm. rather than Jewish, <laughs> Semitic, <laughs> Semitic and untrustworthy. <laughs> Yes, I did. I did make a comment while you guys were playing about how good I am at collecting coins. Um, it's kind of like Tetris meets Lego meets Harry Potter. It's extremely satisfying. Strangely, oh, you did a perfect job. Yeah, you did awesome. That's super hard to do. (laughs) Strangely enough, I'm getting a lot of positive reinforcement. Really appreciate it. Um, strangely enough. You, all of the tasks that you do in this game are to win money. <laughs> Studs. Okay, well... They sure sound like money when you collect mm, them. They could be prestige. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Another thing is that another way of thinking about this, like, picture thing is in the Lego video games across the board, but also all the time in the Harry Potter Lego games, it's just all about making jokes at, at every moment. Like mm-hmm. some, everything is a little bit silly and a little bit more lighthearted, mm-hmm. even when characters are dying or something terrible is happening. There's usually a, a like a little bit of like physical comedy, mm-hmm. like someone's like Lego the, pants popping the, off the, or something. The troll going to the bathroom, yeah, yeah. and washing its hands, and then it's so stinky. <gasps> Uh, Hermione came out of the bathroom stall that she was locked in, which was the one that the troll had been in. Um, And uh, when she burst out, there was a there was some yellow steam suggesting that it smelled really bad. And Hermione had her hand over her mouth. And so then um, uh, Professor McGonagall shot a spell at it to make it smell good. And that was represented by a bunch of purple flowers popping up all over the place. Can you do you guys remember what happens when Cedric Diggory dies? I don't remember that level at all. Me neither. I don't think we got that to that level, did we? The game freezes for us partway through the second book. Oh, so you never made it past the second book. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, that's so sad. You should borrow Marcel's copy of the game. It's your mm-hmm. disc, not we the stuck at the staircase where a staircase had swung closed behind us and we couldn't get across it and we're like but we need to and there's no way to do it so i was like look looking up and you can actually go around this whole other way through the whole world there's like a back way to get back there (laughs) i can't remember the sequence but it's pretty amazing like just speaking Mm -hmm. to the fact that there is sort of built in more than one way to get someplace yeah that's really interesting because we talk a lot and by we i mean neil talks a lot in the episodes about the movies about the way that film can sort of create relation between different spaces through certain kinds of you know panning shots and um uh that that sort of only starts to really happen in the third movie right the sort of camera moves through spaces so you start to get a sense of how space is related to each other but the game seems to do that even more so right Mm -hmm. because you are moving around from room to room and those rooms stay in the same relation to each other and you have to know what the relation is between the different spaces so that you can efficiently move through you know you unlock more of the the castle as you become accustomed to it right so that that sense of space um and that ability to sort of move through the space and understand how things are related to each other is something that is that is sort of distinctly different about the game mm-hmm. right like alex if you and i ended up in hogwarts we could probably find our way to the house gryffindor yeah Sure, sure. We could find our way to the dining hall. You know, like it's helpful to have that ghost guy walking around. Yeah, and but I mean, like it wouldn't. The big long it wouldn't be like everything. if you'd only read the books or seen the movies. I think if I went to Hogwarts, I would actually just act the same way I do in the video game. Would just like start grabbing stuff and just like <laughs> smashing it. <laughs> Knocking over the knights in the hallways, pulling on the drapes. It seems like the right thing to do. The conditions look perfect out there, so grab your brooms and join us on the Quidditch pitch for a conversation about gameplay and interactivity. This is, we're finally going to get to actually have the conversation I keep making you guys stop having, where we talk about the actual gameplay of the game, <laughs> since that is clearly what we really want to talk about. So I want to I want to take you guys back to what you were saying about this not being a first-person shooter, which would have been a perfectly viable way to adapt Harry Potter into a video game, right? Like, I can really, I can really picture so that. I'm going to pick up different ones, like, yeah. this one shoots bigger bullets. <laughs> This is an anti-tank wand. Or anti-tank. You can probably fuck up a tank with a wand pretty bad. Yeah, so they haven't done that. um, And it's not really a traditional RPG either because you don't get locked into fights with villains in the same way. I want to encourage you guys to explain the types of games for some of the listeners who are maybe not as cool as we are. 
and don't know what these acronyms stand for. Okay, uh, I actually don't play a ton of video games. I mostly play Lego video games. <laughs> awesome, acceptable. Uh, so when I think of a first-person shooter, what I think of is Goldeneye with, from like N64 or something. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so I don't know, think of Goldeneye. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. <laughs> or you have to, you kind of move through spaces and hide and it's very focused on the one character and it moves through a narrative and you have to pick up new weapons and usually um, heal yourself in some way and pick up extra special tools that you can use to battle people. And I, there's not a lot of opportunities. I mean, I think sometimes in games like that, there's different kinds of problem solving that you can do. Um, but mostly it's like combat, I think. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Mostly what you're doing is sort of like overcoming obstacles on your own, mm -hmm. um, increasing your firepower. You're very frequently killing things. Right, um, thinking about like hit yeah. points would be a thing. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> what else would be I a thing in a first person shooter for Harry Potter? Maybe you just like one hit and you're down. Because you're a kid? But, yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense to adapt the game as a first person shooter, I don't think. Because then imagine you're like. Oh man, I actually know this character's Dumbledore. I was just gonna call him Gandalf. They're like, I'm gonna play as Dumbledore this time, and then you're like running around with your Uzi or whatever. It like doesn't. Your wand Uzi. No, but I mean, it would, to adapt this game as like you are inside Harry's perspective, so you're encountering this world for the so, first time, yeah. you're, you know, undergoing the task that Harry's undertaking, mm -hmm. you know, you're moving through the world just from Harry's perspective. Like, this game has done something different. It's done something like the gameplay reminds me of Final Fantasy games, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we're playing Ocarina of Time's Final Fantasy game, which I haven't played since I was, like, 14. And that has a similar, like, basic game mechanic to it in that you're sort of exploring the world and moving through it, and a lot of it is just collecting things and meeting people. And, like, you might go to a level and it's just like, oh, I just can't do anything here yet, and I'll have to come back here later. Mm -hmm. And I have to talk to people and, like, solve problems and figure yeah. stuff out. But it's still ultimately you as an individual, right? And, what Alex, what you were saying earlier on is your favorite thing about this game is that the necessity of cooperation is built in. Even if you're playing by yourself, you have to change characters because different characters have different strengths. So there's always built into the way that the game works, always that idea that like teamwork is crucial to success. You got it. That's what I like about it for sure. <laughs> Another game that Alex loves is Civilization. Yeah, and I think true. equally it would be difficult to imagine a sort of like turn over the ages turn-based game mm -hmm. where you would build your own wizarding school and try to get students in it and stuff. Maybe that would be kind of cool, actually. Sims Hogwarts, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Sims, I, somebody actually on Twitter, I saw this the other day, was saying, like, why don't we have a Sims Hogwarts yet where you get to, like, build your own character and then that yeah. character, like, goes through the full experience right. of being at Hogwarts and you, like, you know, mm -hmm. go to classes and move through the years and, like, you get sorted and then you have adventures. Yeah. Like, that would be pretty fun. I'd also be so into a civilization style version of the Harry Potter game where you take all of the historical information that's built into the books and into the extra narrative paratext and canon and whatnot. And you go through all the stages of how the wizarding world that you are told about has developed over time. And I think that would be the coolest <laughs> i'm the coolest right now you could play as the ministry of magic oh, right yes and you would have relationships with the other ministries of magic like you the could learn the, the secrets countries. yeah <laughs> oh my god guys i just got I'm just too, excited. too Wait, excited so are you telling me the whole crisis in the harry potter books is, is a national crisis oh yeah voldemort's not a global threat they talk about it in the books as though it's a global threat, but there's very little indication that beyond the scope of Britain, this is a big problem. Oh, yeah, I mean, man. there's a little bit of indication in the sense that, like, they move outside of Britain sometimes to find allies mm -hmm. or, you know, some of the other Death Eaters are outside of the UK, but... Like, every main character, the protagonist and the antagonist, are all British. All of the major scenes happen within the confines of the UK. The Wizarding Wars, right? They refer to them as the Wizarding... Like, it's the second Wizarding Wars 
but the form that that takes is Voldemort. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Commence Obliviate in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The form that that takes is Voldemort taking over the British Ministry of Magic. Mm -hmm. Um, And as far as I can tell, it never leaks outside of the borders of the UK in any meaningful way. I mean, maybe when we get to book seven, we'll see things that we've forgotten about. But for the most part, like that's definitely how I remember it too. But I think that that makes it a really good analog for the way that we think about World War One and World War Two, which we, we call them world wars, but they were very much like Eurocentric wars that other countries got pulled into and were involved in by proxy or by colonialism or, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. um, they call them theaters of war too, right? I have no idea. It's like the different theaters, those are, or like those are different areas where it's being fought on the ground. Okay. Wait, doesn't Voldemort come back at that big competition where the Quidditch the, World Cup? Right, where no. all the different wizards are are there from all over. So doesn't that kind of signify a larger threat? So the Death Eaters start to act up before Voldemort comes back, and that is at the Quidditch World Cup. And they wreak a bunch of havoc, but it's the British Ministry of Magic that has to do all the cleanup after mm-hmm. that. It's not like you don't get a sense that the other international wizarding communities had any kind of like long-term ramifications from that. And then Voldemort himself returns during the Triwizard Tournament, which would similarly suggest that because France and... We'll call Durmstrang Germany? Soviet Union. Soviet Union. That's right. We decided on that one because that one's more fun. Yeah, so there's a sense that both France and the former but still intact uh, wizarding USSR are involved and can be allies, but they don't seem to have a horse in that race the same way that Mm -hmm. Britain does. They just help out because of the value of cooperating with your neighbors. Yeah. Everything happens in Britain. You got it. (laughs) That's the one. Awesome. It's our soundbite. Okay, so one of the things that we talked a lot about while we were playing the game, so like there's a few goals that you have in the game, right? You go and you take lessons and you have to acquire particular spells. And then once you've got those spells, you use that to like, you know, accomplish feats. But one of the major things that you are doing as you move through this world is blowing shit up with your wand and collecting, what are they called? Studs. Collecting studs, which makes it sounds like you're collecting sexy men, but you're not collecting sexy men. It's coins. Right? Which you can use to buy sexy men. Yes, exactly. You can buy yeah, like anything you want with coins. Gryffindor, in diagonally. Gryffindor boy, or just boy. You collect characters, and then you can later buy them with your studs. So liter- you're literally yeah. saying the truth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you literally can buy people with your studs. Yeah, and the studs are, like, they're not explicitly coins. But they make the sound of coins when you pick them up. Yeah, I mean, we're thinking, like, in Mario... Right? Like, this is a sort of Mario dynamic where, like, as you move through the world, there's just, like, coins floating in space that you Mm -hmm. acquire through walking that make a very similar Mario World-ish noise. Like, bing, 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 like, as you're picking them up. Or in Zelda when you have to, like, blow up a bush and there's a coin hiding in that bush. Yeah, yeah. You're picking up gold. It's clearer in Zelda, I think, that you're picking up gold because then you buy things. rupees. Rupees. Guys, that's really racialized. There's one thing I wanted to say about studs, which is... uh, that differentiates them from money mm-hmm. in the real world, I guess. I don't know if that differentiation <laughs> needs to happen. <laughs> Nobody's trying to argue that things are exactly the same. <laughs> What's the exchange rate between studs in the Lego Harry Potter? Um, but, like, the way that you collect them or the process of collecting them is is really fun, and it's also not necessary for survival in the way that money oh, is necessary for survival. You don't, right. need, you don't need it to buy stuff that you absolutely need to finish the game it more just kind of kind of conflates money and motivation and direction Mm -hmm. all into this little thing i think one really good example of that is the fact that there's no sense of ron's poverty 
in this game, right? Yeah. Ron doesn't have any difficulty collecting studs. He can get just as many as everybody else. There's no tension between the amount of studs that he gets to keep at the end of the game versus how much Harry gets to keep. Like that whole narrative of studs as money is completely absent. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, it is just a kind of collecting of treasures or collecting of coin. Mm -hmm. God, I keep saying coins as though coins aren't money, but you know what I mean? <laughs> like game coins. Yeah, game right? coins. Like those aren't money. Treats. Those are just treats. They're treats. Just treats. You're just collecting treats. It's like cupcakes. Yeah. When you go to the Weasley's house, you can totally just turn it completely upside down and get so many coins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just weren't looking hard enough. <laughs> That's why they're so poor. They're really bad with their studs. They just throw them around. Yeah, I saw a talk recently for a scholar whose name I cannot recall right now, but she was talking about um, some uh, sort of subversive independent games that people have been making. And one of them is a sort of commentary on, you know, the game logic of collecting money. And in this game, you basically have a shitty job as a fry cook and you have to like flip a certain number of burgers while your boss yells at you until you've made enough money to go on vacation. And then you get to play a surfing game for a while while you're on vacation and then you have to go back and do your shitty job again until you've earned the right to to play a game again. And it's like, when you compare it to something like that, it becomes very clear how totally divorced from the actual function of money mm -hmm. this game is, right? This game yeah. isn't actually about making money. It's about sort of exploration. So when you're moving around the world of Hogwarts, there are the actual studs that you can collect and harder, more valuable studs are further away so that you need to sort of be more creative and explore more to get those. But then there's also the ghost studs, which mm -hmm. are just there to lead you towards like what the next actual level of gameplay is. Until you unlock the thing that allows you to collect, collect ghost studs. I have a question about the mechanics. Yeah. What if they weren't you weren't getting studs this whole time, and there weren't studs around? Would you try to explore the all the places? Oh, good question. You're right. Go right ahead. I'm gonna. I just wanted to point out that studs are worth different amounts, and so like the silver ones are worth ten, gold ones are worth a hundred, blue ones are worth a thousand, and purple, mm -hmm. the most pricely stud, is worth ten thousand yeah. studs. But studs are also a thing in Lego. They go right, yeah. on top of the mm -hmm. little bumps and kind of mm -hmm. soften the edges, make them look nice. Mm -hmm. I don't think that changes any of the points that you're making, <laughs> but studs, they're just, they're not exactly coins. They're referring right. to something else. Yeah. 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 I mean, they're referring both sort of visually within the game to like an actual Lego piece, right? And the, the game is full of, right? It's not just an adaptation of Harry Potter. It's also an adaptation of playing with Lego. Mm -hmm. So there's there's yeah. whole tasks that you can only accomplish by like putting together Lego blocks and stuff like that. And and they're also clearly like a reference to just sort of old video games, right? Like there's mm -hmm. a clear Mario world thing going on there, the way, mm -hmm. the, the way that they're positioned. And then Brent made the point that like, because so many of the things in the world have coins that you can only get by like hitting them with your wand that that encourages like that mechanic in the game also just encourages you to like spend more time in the rooms interacting with them and figuring out what happens when you you know hit different things with your wand so we don't necessarily have to think of it as collecting money but it's a very strange way to move through the world what can you do with them when you get them in the game you buy shit in diagon alley yeah they're just a general equivalent you just Okay, so use them yeah yeah oh the, another thing that you get from collecting studs in a level is that if you collect a certain number it's set based upon how many there are you have to get a certain percentage and then it unlocks this thing that's called true wizard and so that's one of like the four or five different things you can try and unlock in a level another will be um collecting each of the housed crests that then fit together into a larger crest mm -hmm. another will be saving students in peril and then sometimes they're just items or like golden bricks or red bricks hidden in levels and then you can use golden bricks to build things uh, that you've unlocked and then you can use uh, maybe red bricks you find out, out out in the world but you have to take them to the, like the nearby owl because then it flies away with it. it wait, wait 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 what did you find a red box what do you do with it 
You take it over to this owl, it's like a male thing. It's a red brick. I'm like, it's a red brick, Marcel. Here we Jeez. go. Bam. What's happening right now? Who took it away? An owl. I'm just looking for opportunities to use owl sound effects right now. There was one in the game. <laughs> now on the Hedwig sound effect should be that sound effect. I thought you were trying to do some Harry Potter schooling. Like, you don't know, Brent. No. I'm, that would be so mean. The red things that let you unlock these special things. So it's like stud multipliers. Oh, or yeah. car- carrot, carrot wands. Carrot wands. Or like flower hat. So when you cast a spell on somebody, their head gets a flower on it instead of a piece of hair. Just like all this really silly stuff. You can also make it Christmas so that everybody is just wearing Santa hats all the time. I totally forgot about all this. Yeah. So that encourages you to unlock these things so that the game can be... Just, so silly. Just for silliness sake. Yeah. And as you were pointing out, again, while we were playing, like, one of the mechanics of the game is also just that you, like, break stuff and put it back together, right? So there is this real Lego feel to things. that You're just moving through the world and you can just smash things and there aren't long-term consequences to it because, mm. and the game actually lets you do it, right? Like, you use your wand to break shit up and then you use the wand again to, like, put them back together. And it's fine, right? It's part of the sort of low stakes of the game. Yeah. Much like Lego is a particularly low stakes toy. <laughs> Unless you put it in your nose, which don't do not do that. You don't do that, Hannah. <laughs> Alex, how does that compare to the other Lego games where, like, like in, in Harry Potter, you have a wand. So after you've smashed something, you point your wand at it and you can, like, rebuild it just using magic. But in, like, Lord of the Rings, there are they're still wizards but you have like swords and shit so what do you do when you smash there's a cute animation where they kind of bend down and stick their butts out and like wiggle their hands and it looks like they're building something back together <laughs> that's, that's a great noise with that's, that's, too, yeah like... <laughs> yeah that's really awesome oh, that's amazing. and then in uh the star wars one you use the force to explode stuff and put right. it back a lot together. of you're like chewbacca though then bend you, down you bend down and build stuff wiggle around <laughs> Chewbacca also does this really cute thing where if a stormtrooper runs up to him and you hit him, sometimes you just pull both of his arms out. So he just like does that all the time. It's like, boom, boom. And then the guy's just like, figurines just like looking around for his arms got pulled off because he's just Lego. So remember how we've been complaining about how the movies take the book magic and turn it into uncontrollable chaos? Yeah. That is emphasized a lot in the gameplay here back when we were first comparing the books to the movies we talked about the way in the books magic is uh, like an orderly systematic thing that you need to learn how to do and in the movies it's much sort of sillier and more chaotic like you just randomly wave your wand at shit and it explodes (laughs) and the game has taken that to like it's logical extreme or like a reductio ad absurdum which is like the entire way you play the game is to like wave your wand at shit and make it explode Mm -hmm. and that's like the the potions class scene you are jumping on the tables you are smashing every bottle in that room you're turning cupboards upside down and snape's just standing there just like yeah okay yeah potions class oh so there's an illustration snape is showing of a wizard trying to pull something what seems too heavy for him so I think we're going to learn a super strength potion, which has got a bone flower, a lampshade, and a skeleton <laughs> arm in it. Not well narrated. And since potions are not really about knowing the recipe, there's a cauldron with those things bubbling and it has those three things floating over it. It's more about finding where they are in the room. That's true in the books, too. Oh, finding the the right things for that. No, I'm just, I'm just. Oh, no, but I mean, you think around. that they'd be like, oh no, if only we had some liverwort. You know. Yeah, that's true. That is a thing that they do in the books, where they have to um, break into Snape's spell? storeroom and steal oh, some of his some of his things. Oh, that's pretty mean of them. They're always messing with with Snape, eh? Yeah, they're really hard on Snape. 
But in, in the books, he's a real piece of shit. He's so emo. <laughs> His intensity would make a lot more sense in the context of this game, where everything's exploding all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like everybody <laughs> in the classroom collectively finds three ingredients and throws them in a cauldron. Whereas the actual way Snape's classroom is run is through competition and public shaming. So it's yeah. the opposite of how that class is taught. Well, the the chaos of the classroom, the kind of chaos and violence and insanity of the way that Snape runs his classroom just is perfectly at home in the chaos of these crazy classrooms. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing there's nothing out of sorts about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's actually kind of tame. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Just, if he seems grumpy, like maybe it's because when his students come into the class, they like jump on the table and break everything in there. <laughs> like, There's that's nothing pretty... he can do about no, it. No, no. Well, he can turn you into a block of ice. Yeah. Yeah, but that's about the worst thing. <laughs> cool off, buddy. <laughs> Thank you, dear listeners, for joining us for episode Theta, the first extended universe episode of Witch Please. The rest of our episodes are available at ohwitchplease.ca and on iTunes. And hey, while you're on there, why don't you leave us a rating or a review? Here are some people who have reviewed us already. Karina Soros, Kay Trims, Hufflepuff Panda, Bee Boots, Andrew Bretz, Kaz8419, L337 Pastor and Ellen Aura. You can easily join this pantheon of people who are our favorites. You just have to write your own review. Speaking of people who are our favorites, don't forget to check out our Tumblr, ohwitchplease.tumblr.com, curated by Jason Purcell. And of course, eternal gratitude to our erstwhile tech support, Trevor Chow Fraser. Hi, how are you doing? And now the moment. You've all been waiting for, but none with more trepidation than I. Thanks to everyone who's been tweeting at or tweeting about us. Pewterwolf13, Savannah Goyette, Books Unstitched, Frank Trick, El Bourgon, Chris Duty, Kelly Lim, Physics Katie, Karina Soros, J. Kate B., Neil Politan, Bubble Forest. Bubble Forest is great. I know how to pronounce that one. Alice AML, SC Huggins, Mar Shameless. That sounds like my stage name. Katerina Mary, JV Purcell, T. Valanilla 4. You guys are very creative and I am not good enough for you. The Dutch Wife, Holly Dunn Design, Just a Dust Jacket, Cat Lady Pizza, Debbie Kinsey, SM Arbuthnot, Kristen Lee 8. Katie Hazenbank, Just Malins, Kristen Morin, Emily Hoven, Surinoth, Great Dane Yo-Yo, Niamal's Winter, Alan Matley, Proletarian Arts, Uterp's Delight, Bookish Spoonie, Shinra Alpha, Jadia, A Hint of Mystery. <laughs> that was not nearly as hard to say as I made it sound. <laughs> Terry Lee McGarry, Against Mischief, Ellen Aura, Khaleesi's and Amazon's podcast, Renachka, Rach Kale, Ryan Redshirt, Jay Bottomless, Meg Rob 12, and Mara Dithering. You are legion. You contain multitudes. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> I just want to add that as I was sounding them out and getting them right, I could see Hannah like nodding enthusiastically next to me. But when I wasn't getting it right, she was just sort of, you could just see that she was ready to like jump in and intervene, but couldn't because she's making me do it this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to leave that in. Everybody needs to know how very bossy I am. Now, this is the point when you'd expect us to once again promise to start talking about book five next episode. But I'm not going to lie to you. You'll have to wait for September before you can return to Hogwarts. But fear not. In the meantime, while Marcel takes a trip to Egypt with some narratively convenient prize money, I'm going to whisk you away for another mini-sode. And I'd like to know from you, dear listeners, just what kind of mini-sode you would enjoy. Tweet us some suggestions at please. Finally, special thanks to Alex Carruthers and Brent Bellamy, our hosts and guests this week. You can follow Alex online at Ace Carruthers and Brent at Is a Grapefruit. They're both pretty damn interesting people, and I think that you will love them. And until next time, 
Later, Later witches! witches. I know. Trevor. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.